Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello, this is the China Sports Insider. My name is Hyde Ballion, and I am with Mark Dreyer. He is the China Sports Insider. This week, we're going to talk about China's women's basketball team. They're into the semifinals of the Basketball World Cup in Australia. Uh, Eileen Gu's first day of college. Bing Duen Duen waddles into the sunset. And the 2022 ITTF World Team Tennis Championship finals are set to begin today in a bubble. We talked to an athlete who traveled there this week. That is coming up soon. But first, Mark, how are you? Yeah, things are good. Things are good. I am preparing to uh, fly back to Beijing next week, all things being equal. I got to do my 10 days of solitary. Uh, and uh, hopefully, all goes uh, according to plan. I'll be able to watch the. Um, well, it's uh, it's it's National Week holiday in in Beijing, so it's uh, it's not going to be a whole lot going on. But uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. So what what sports are, I mean, is the World Cup starting? When what, what is that starting? That's not that's not for another month, right? Yeah, that doesn't get going until uh, middle of November, and then goes for about a month into into December. So. Uh, that's going to be a pretty big deal in China, I think. Uh, of course, as 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 everyone listening to this podcast probably knows, China has only ever qualified for one World Cup twenty years ago. So no Chinese interest, but uh, Chinese fans will be tuning in despite the not particularly favorable uh, times of the kickoffs. But uh, yeah, there'll there'll be plenty of interest. I, I'm excited to see kind of how much people are watching. It's obviously also winter, more of a winter event, so it's getting to be a little bit cold. And and other World Cups and Euros and, and stuff in Beijing, at least, have had people out on the streets in the summer, you know, watching on on big screens, and that's been a lot of fun. So probably not going to be so much of that, given the weather and given COVID. But I'll be interested to see how much how much of a buzz it does create in China. Time difference is going to suck, suck, suck. <laughs> it's going to be really, really bad. And also, I mean. You know, bars in in Beijing and Shanghai and elsewhere. Like, I mean, there. Like, I doubt. Well, who knows? Like, let's see. Let's see at that point whether there's going to be, uh, you know, whether whether people are going to be allowed to go there and watch 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 sports. I remember during the Euros, uh, Patty's Irish Bar, which is not too far from my place in Beijing, was packed. Um, yeah. I just, you know, it's it's hard to imagine that's going to happen. Um, I'm not sure I've mentioned this on the show though, but did you know that Canada actually qualified for the World Cup this year, Mark? I think I, it rings a very, very vague, distant bell hike. You may have mentioned it just 
once or twice or 17 times uh, in previous shows. And, and I've, I think I've encouraged you to edit out most of the references. So the, the hundreds that have slipped through, that's well, just, now, that's just now a that we're uh, now, now that we're on live stream, Mark, like, I, you know, my, I, it's just, oh, it's just everything yeah. is going to, everything is going to slip through. It's, it's kind of amazing. What you want to talk about before we get into our topics was, 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 something, was something about Pompeo. What, what's, what's going on with, with, with him? <laughs> So I'm in Kaohsiung in the in the southern uh, uh, south of south of Taiwan, the southern city here. And Mike Pompeo was visiting, and uh, earlier in the week, as his uh, contingent was was I think leaving town, he flew in kind of, and then he he was speaking at some business conference. But basically, I was I was driving, I dropped the kids off at school, and we was driving back, and um, uh, the 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 lights basically changed to red. Like, like there, there's always a countdown, but the countdown stopped because you know how many seconds it and, and so it's green. And then there was a convoy of cars and, uh, and it was all very official. And I'm almost certain it was Pompeo. Oh, wow. Uh, in his sort of armored, armored transport, you know, uh, not armored transport, but you know, like the convoy, the, the, with the police convoy. Um, and the whole thing probably lasted about 45 seconds. And I just remember thinking, wow, that's so different um, because in Beijing, every time there's someone who comes in, you know, you're around the third ring road or anywhere near close to the airport express, any leader coming in for any uh, event. And of course, the Congress, which I'll be uh, fortunately back in Beijing just in time for that wonderful event, the 20th Congress. Um, you know, they like just clog the roads up for, well, not quite 45 minutes, but but probably about 20 minutes, you know. And if you ha- if you if you are going into work at the wrong time, there's just nothing you can do. The police are basically closing the roads for 20 minutes so that there's no possibility of any traffic. I was like, yeah, it really doesn't need to be that way. Like, it was so efficient. And I was just like, yeah, that's pretty good. I was like, oh, I guess the lights have gone red. Oh, and here's the traffic. And oh, and we're back to green. And on we go. Uh, but uh, but anyway, a little bit of a difference. Not much little, to do with sport, but, but there you go. No, well, that's okay. <laughs> well, well, you're going to be leaving all of that very, very soon and, and back to um, Beijing where everything makes sense all the time. So Yes, reuniting the podcast. Hi, good yeah. person. I know. That's, I can't believe it. I, what was the last time I saw you? Probably, well, when, I mean, must have been, what, um, June? May, I would have May? Been. Yeah, wow. May. Wow, yeah, wow, wow. Uh, yeah. that's, 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 that's wild. Well, shall we get to our first story, which is China's amazing women's basketball team. Um, in the new FIBA rankings, they're up to number two in the world, and they just beat France today at the World Cup to make it to the uh, semifinals. Put this into context for me, Mark. Um, has China ever been this good? You mentioned second in the rankings. Well, uh, there was a link that I saw. It was kind of like a power rankings for this tournament. Um, so I don't know if that translates into kind of like official rankings, but they've certainly been playing very well. I mean, look, they're miles behind, uh, you know, the U.S., for example. Like if you look at the WNBA, there are a couple of Chinese players who are not exactly fringe players, but sort of breaking in. Now, this is this is an improvement on, on what it's been in the past. They're not the first ever Chinese players to have played in the uh, in the WNBA. But, you know, this is a team that's dominated, of course, by Americans and a, and a smattering of internationals. Um, so there's still a huge gulf. Um, but yes, China doing very well. And people are beginning to talk about, actually, in the last few days, they've been talking about medal potential. 
Uh, then they, they beat France, as we're seeing here. And uh, so they're into the semi. So one more and guaranteed a silver, but two chances uh, two chances for a medal if they, if, the, if they lose and then, you know, they can still play in the bronze medal game. So very good performance so far. Um, and hopefully there's more to come. Well, okay, so it's been 28 years since they've medaled in this tournament. So it, it's been a while. Uh, they're ne- uh, so, yeah, the next game is tomorrow against host Australia. And on in your side of the world, that's at 5.30 p.m. Here in the United States, that's at 5.30 a.m. I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to get up for that one. Um, but I think it's going to be on ESPN, which is really, really cool. Um, so c- can you compare the team, the basketball team's popularity in China to say the volleyball team is 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 there any sort of um, visibility there yeah those two don't really compare you know when it comes to basketball um certainly in my experience um of 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 you know watching sports and, and just seeing how much is profile like whenever the chinese national team men's or women's any sport do well on the global stage as long as there's not too much other stuff going on they do get good coverage so people will be aware of this uh, but whereas Volleyball, I would say the women historically have done much, much better than the men, um, certainly in more recent years, and actually going back a little bit. So, so they are far more famous than their male counterparts. Um, you know, when you've got people like Yao Ming, of course, on the men's side for basketball, they're just way more high profile than, than the women have been. So it's almost the reverse of volleyball. But, it, but you know, success does definitely breed visibility. There's nothing they like more here than than you know, Chinese athletes doing, doing well on the, on the world stage. And, it, and it's, it's not quite a guarantee of, of bringing a, a niche sport into the mainstream. But if you've got a Chinese athlete um, in, in a sport that no one's really heard of and they're world champion, they, they do get some coverage in, in the press. So, so basketball has certainly been there. It's, it's, as we know, one of the top sports on the male side for, for Chinese sports fans. So the women's team, you know, got some work to do. And again, it goes back to, to what, they've, what they've been doing. You know, if we look at... Like the Olympics, they, they, 1992, they got a silver medal, but it was a long time. They, you know, they haven't placed, uh, they've only been once in the, in the top four. That was since then, that was 2008 at the home games. So again, this would be uh, a dramatic improvement if they were to get a medal at the, uh, at the World Cup, which is a pretty significant tournament, basically second to the, uh, to the Olympics. Uh, but yeah, let's, uh, let's see. Again, host nation Australia, it's going to be a tough one, but they, they've certainly got a chance. Absolutely. Okay, let's, let's move on to an athlete who has had no problems getting any attention at all. Uh, Eileen Koo, she started her first day at school this week, and there was, of course, uh, an Instagram post. Uh, Mark, wh- why, why are we talking about this? Well, Eileen Koo, uh, she's just started at Stanford, and she posted some pictures, basically first day of school, you know. There she is with her two favorite people, her mother and her grandmother. In fact, her mother, I was, uh, I found out this week, also went to Stanford. So there is a connection there. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, Eileen Gu, lover or hater, she's, she's always in the news. Um, even though she is kind of part of that Olympic cycle where athletes really only get profiled once every four years, I just have a feeling we're going to hear more from her before we get to 2026 and the next Winter Games in Milan. Um, you know, she's, of course, basically a, as famous, almost a, as famous a model slash celebrity as she is a winter sports athlete at this point, both in China and and internationally with the number of brands that she reps. Uh, and, and Stanford, you know, is, is a pretty high-profile 
school. And there was, you know, the, the haters were kind of saying, well, look, she's, uh, you know, is she, is she Chinese? Is she American? All this sort of stuff. And, and why is she going to this school and that school? And the petitions to withdraw her application, all this kind of nonsense. Anyway, she started at Stanford um, and we wish her the best. Super high profile. I mean, could you imagine being a gold medal winning athlete and starting your first day of school at, the, at, at, in, in, at college? Like that's, that's wild. Yeah, I feel like, and maybe this is just kind of in my memory, but I feel like a lot of, of these high profile athletes, like we've, we've seen some child act, um, actors and actresses feel like go to Stanford, you know, Tiger Woods, of course, was at Stanford. Um, my, uh, you know, just, uh, just a little name drop here, but my, my father-in-law, in fact, has, my wife went to Stanford, so my father-in-law has a, um, a, a one of Tiger's golf cards from when he played at Stanford, uh, my wife before we we met was was able to to get that for for her dad who's a huge golf fan um yeah and, but he was he was one of those guys who who's like playing at the college level before he turned pro he was going to you know everyone knew that he was going to um turn pro he's still he was known to be a he was going to be a big name michelle Wee was another one who was kind of like was hugely touted early on and then kind of disappeared and then she's come back and done well so i, I don't know there's, I'm sure there's other sports. There's, there's other universities that have, have had their share of celebrities. But I feel like Stanford's, it's not a bad place to go uh, if, if you're uh, already quite high profile. Their freestyle ski team just got a lot better. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have, um, yeah, I'm not sure yeah. she'll be doing too much. No, of course not. No, of course not. I, uh, yeah, that was, that was a bad joke. Uh, you wanted to talk about um, chess, Mark. What, what, what is happening in the chess world? I was at dinner the other night and, and like, again, it was, it wasn't, I guess the most fascinating conversation was, like, Oh, have you been hearing about the chess? And people was like, yeah, there's all this controversy about chess and Magnus Carlsen, the world champion. And, and basically it's only when there's bad stuff happening, he's, he's sort of accused someone, not, not particularly publicly sort of accused another high profile player of cheating. And so chess has suddenly been getting like front page headlines or at least back page headlines, you know, top of the sports sections for, for this chess drama. Um, but there was another headline I saw this week, um, and it actually concerned a Chinese player, um, a Chinese female player. Um, basically, it, it was almost kind of by accident, but basically um, there's, a, there's a Chinese woman grandmaster by the name of, um, sorry, I'm just, uh, her name is Jujina, uh, I think it is. Uh, yes, Jujina, sorry. And um, there was a chess commentator who was, who was commentating on her, on her game and saying like, she's playing like a man. And the female co-commentator was like, uh, what do you mean? Like, what does that even mean? And he was like, oh, well, you know, maybe chess is not for women. And yes, I have. And, and it's, he, he was basically challenged, like, haven't you said chess is not really for women in the past? And, um, and he says, oh, well, I have, I have, but, um, you know, only privately. So, but implying that that doesn't really count because I only said it privately. Uh, anyway, uh, this guy's been fired. This was like a big tournament and, and he's kind of been, you know, canceled. Uh, but, you know, he basically then said, um, oh, well, I don't know what the fuss is about. You know, like uh, I was mostly joking. It was pretty clear that he wasn't joking. He was just like, well, you can tell the way she plays. She's playing like a man. I was like, like in the way that she moves, in the strategies, like it just didn't really make any kind of sense, however you look at it. Um and you know, it just reminded me of the uh, the the. It's probably not uh, Ricky Gervais or you know the David Brent thing. It's like, 
I love women, you know, my mum's one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. It's like the, the classic, yeah. like, I'm not racist, but, you know, or my, like, you know, my all best my friends. My best, best friends, friends are, are black, women. yeah. You know, oh, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's like, like, so it was just kind of like some, some cringeworthy uh, that defenses is cringy. there. Anyway, oh, so it was, it was almost kind of by accident, but a Chinese female player has been um, a, a side note in this uh, chess commentator uh, expulsion story. So there yeah. you go. Um, last story before we get to Chengdu, uh, probably, and I don't think this is hyperbole, probably the biggest story of 2022 was the meteoric rise of Bing Duen Duen. The little mascot for the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics that nobody believed in. You may remember lines around the block of people trying to buy anything Bing Duen Duen. Mark, you shared some photos on Twitter um, of Ersatz Bing Duen Duens around Beijing, sometimes made with snow. Well, it looks like Bing Duan Duan is about to trudge into the sunset. All sales of official Beijing 22 merchandise is about to stop in physical stores today, including Bing Duan Duan. Um, but you'll still be able to uh, buy them online until the end of the year. How do you feel about this, Mark? Yeah, you know what? It's a lot of emotion, a lot of emotion right now uh, for, for this story. I can tell. Like, you know, <laughs> no, but I, I've kind of got mixed feelings. I, I will be honest, I'm a bit of a sucker for mascots. Um, you know, I won't. Uh, I won't bore you with my my you know top ten all time ranking of mascots. However, um, I do remember my first reaction when I saw Bing Duan Duan was like, "What the hell is this?" Is like it's it's kind of like a a panda or an you know on acid type thing with those psychedelic rings around the face. It's supposed to be kind of like a spacesuit, I guess. But you know, it what. I do remember the public reaction. The public reaction was basically nothing because Bing Duen Duen was on sale for a couple of years beforehand and no one cared about Bing Duen Duen. And then it was a really interesting thing. And, and it was, I want to say it was, it was largely manufactured, but then did kind of take on a life of its own where people realized, or at least Chinese state media and, and, and China realized that no one really knew the Olympics were going on because there were no fans and it was in this bubble and it was kind of a bit of a shit event in terms of uh, entertainment and festivals and carnival. You know, there was none of that. And so they basically had to try to G up interest. And, and we saw, or I saw all these stalls around uh, Beijing where people basically had tables of like the cardboard cutout Bing Duen Duen and, and Shui Ronron, you know, the, the Paralympic mascot. And you would go and take your picture and, you know, like, oh, yes, yes. There, yeah. By the way, everyone, there is an Olympics uh, happening. Uh, you just can't go. Um, <laughs> and so then what happened? Because it was got such a big media push and, you know, mascots are kind of cute and China was doing pretty well at the Olympics. Then it was the hot ticket item and it was just like sold out. So then, of course, you know, the, the suppliers were like, oh, we maybe have all those, all those excess uh, stock we thought we had. Now they're sold out. We don't have enough. So then they made a ton. And then, of course, the Olympics finish. They've got all this stock that was sitting on the shelves. And so these poor Bing Duen Duens, Chui Wuran Rans, it's just been lonely, Hike, for, for, oh, no. for a good few months now. Here we are in September. But fortunately, they will be put out of their misery, I guess, by the end of the year. Unclear. Uh, so far, what will happen to any remaining uh, Bing Duen Duens and Shui Ron Runs, whether they go to mascot heaven, whether they get recycled, whether they get possibly cremated. Uh, we don't know. We don't know. Uh, we'll try and find out <laughs> and bring you news right here 
on the China Sports Insider podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be on the beat. Um, that's that's why we're going back to China just to just get under you know to get to the bottom of this. Um, and, the big and, stories, yeah, the, the big, big the, stories, the very yeah. big stories. Well, there is actually one big sporting story. We left it to last here because we're talking to one of the athletes um, that is taking part in it. Um, the 2022 ITF World Team Table Tennis Championship Finals are set to begin today in a bubble. Um, we, we've talked about this tournament uh, quite a bit over the last couple of weeks, and, and we had a chance to talk yesterday with Ivy Liao, who is competing in Chengdu. Um, if you're watching on live stream, the interview is up on our YouTube channel right now. Just search for the China Sports Insider Podcast on YouTube and you will find us. Um, for podcast listeners, you can listen in right now. It's coming up. Uh, Mark, wh what did you make of the, uh, the interview and, and any parting thoughts about the uh, the event in Chengdu? Look, I you know, there's been so many events ca um, canceled in China, basically, uh, I other than the Olympics, either canceled or, or postponed. Um, and I think the fact that they are recreating the Olympic bubble um, with about 1,500 people inside it goes to show just how important table tennis is in China. You know, it's we talked about this last week, but it's no accident that China is very heavily favored to win both tournaments. Uh, and so that's something that obviously they, they, wanna, they, they want to host uh, because, it, you know, it fits in with you know, national pride and all that sort of stuff. And, and, you know, Chinese sports fans liking home, home domestic success. And so, you know, that's gotta be one of the reasons Chengdu, Chengdu of course has just come out of lockdown. Um, the big shame of course, is that it's yet again, going to be a TV only event. Um, and so the Chinese fans won't be able to get up close and personal with their, uh, you know, heroes and heroines in the arena. Uh, but you know, I guess better than nothing. It, it, look, if they keep doing the if they keep doing the bubbles and and maybe they become a little bit easier and a little bit looser, um, it doesn't sound like they're quite as bad, is quite as restricted as the uh, you know as the Olympic bubble was in Beijing. So if we're as we try to do, search desperately search for the positives. <laughs> Sometimes you know I guess that's a, a a creep in the right direction. It doesn't mean that we're going to have you know a, a whole host of events uh, come January first next year. But um, look, this is better than nothing. Sport is happening, um, whether it's a bubble for, for the Chinese Super League with, with a few fans you know, uh, allowed to go to some of the games, whether this is happening as well. So again, not quite as bad as things were in the past. Um, you know, we're still a long, long way from, from, from normality and where the rest of the world is, is fully, fully back to normal. Um, but, you know, look, it's, uh, it's happening. And, uh, and I guess the best thing, you know, let's, uh, I suppose, let's hope for a, a good tournament and, and a, a win for China, because that's going to bring some attention to the tournament. And hopefully people will get excited about it. And there's a slightly better chance that they will open up. You know, I live in hope. Um. <laughs> we all live in hope, Mark. We all, we all live in hope. Ivy, thanks so much for, for, for joining us on the podcast. So you are right now in the bubble, the, the, the competition bubble uh, in, in Chengdu uh, for the World Table Tennis Team Championships. Well, first of all, tell us, like, how was the arrival process? How long have you been over here? You know, you totally jet lagged. Like, set the scene for us. For sure. So um, right now it's evening of September the 28th local time. Uh, we arrived in Chengdu after quite an intense travel process. 
approximately two days ago. So early morning on the 27th, I believe. Um, and what was what happened for this World Team Championships was that the only way to get here was through chartered flights. Two chartered flights flew in, either from Dubai or from Singapore. And so the Canadian team flew in via Dubai. And to get to Dubai, like the few of us that were from Vancouver, British Columbia, we flew first to Amsterdam, and then we flew to Dubai. And then from Dubai, we flew to Chengdu. So it was like going across the world, like one step at a time, which was quite the process and also quite tiring, I would say. Um, but then when we, and also like all the COVID PCR tests along the way. So I know they, I think they loosened guidelines for tournament participants. So we had to get two PCR tests with negative results before we got on that chartered flight. And then like the whole way, just continuous testing. And now that we're in the bubble, tests every day, mandatory. Um, but at least they're not like the ones that are intensely up your nose. It's just like a oral mouth swab now, which is like a lot quicker than I guess what they used to be, which is nice. And um, yeah, now that we're here in the bubble, um, it's really cool to kind of coexist with all the top athletes from around the world um, in table tennis and the hospitality has been amazing. Like, even though there are a lot of restrictions, um, there's what everything we need is here. Um, and everything, if there's something that is not readily available, we can always ask. And they've communicated that to us, which has been wonderful. And yeah. <laughs> when we were looking at the Olympics, for example, we heard all of these stories of, you know, people who are you know, a little bit um, anxious about going into the bubble and what might happen if you might test positive. Uh, is that like, is that, was that communicated to you as well? Are those anxieties there with, with, with among the Canadian team too? I would say COVID is definitely a big thing on our minds. The first challenge was just getting here in the first place because um, like the two negative tests back home in Canada and now um, in North America restrictions almost like don't exist masks aren't as nearly as commonly used um, and like as personally as a university student I come into contact with a lot of people on a daily basis like either through my commute on the bus or in my classes so that was like quite a huge stressor for me I would say um, but luckily enough, all my PCR and COVID tests have been negative so far. And now that we're here in the bubble and we're, we have to do tests every day to continue like going to the practice hall and going to the meal hall and stuff like that. I think a lot of our nerves are settled because we know that the restrictions are there in a way to like help us. Um, and because of those restrictions, I think we're a lot more comfortable with um, just navigating around and moving around in the bubble. And I would say that um, in the prospectus, so even before we landed in Chengdu, what would happen if someone did test positive um, was laid out in the information provided to us, which was nice. Um, and what so did I they think say? just like knowing more. I think... Uh, <laughs> I don't know the exact, like, don't quote me on this, but it's something along the lines of, like, 
we would be quarantined, but like meals, um, like we would be checked in on. And like if we needed access to, I remember there was a section saying that if we need like mental uh, resources or like, like holistic support would be provided, which is encouraging, I think. Yeah. Ivy, you, you said you were mixing with all the other top athletes from around the world. I want to ask, are the Chinese players mixing as well? Or are they sort of like keeping themselves apart? Because I would have imagined that they'd be under pretty strict orders, you know, do not potentially come into contact just in case there's an infection that comes through prior to competition, of course. But, but, but maybe, maybe they're, you know, tell us about that and just, just tell us how your day looks like in terms of how much you're able to practice and, and comings and goings. Mm-hmm. Great question. So I haven't seen any of the members of the Chinese team yet, um, but I have seen the athletes from most of the other countries and top countries, including like Japan, Korea, um, the top European countries. Yeah, but not China yet. <laughs> um, so I'm not sure if they're staying in the same hotel as us or if they're staying elsewhere. Um, yeah, I don't know about that. In regards to practice schedules, um, so we have three days to kind of like get settled in before competition starts on September the 30th. Um, and so throughout these three days, there's quite a lot of opportunities to practice. So how the venue is set up is that there are currently three practice or like three venues. So there's the main competition stadium, which has two, four, six tables. Um, and then, and it's like in a stadium, so that's where all the matches will be taking place and all the spectators will be, and etc. And then there's also the warm-up hall, um, and that has a solid maybe, I want to say like 18 to 20 tables. And, um, and then on top of that, there's also like a practice hall, which also has like around 20 tables. Um, and so for the main hall and the warm-up hall, there's like scheduled slots for each country to have like a designated number of tables every day to practice on. So for example, today, um, September 28th, Team Canada was allocated one main hall table and two warm-up hall tables from 10 to 11 a.m. And then uh, four warm-up hall tables from 5 to 6 p.m. And so sometimes countries like to practice on their own time. So they go to like pr the practice hall and so there are free tables. And so countries can kind of like, na like navigate that however best fits them. So there's like lots of opportunities to practice and I'll alter that schedule based on what's best for the athletes, which is the flexibility is nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, like anyone who's ever been to China... Just, just, just walking around any town, any city, you can see like just how big a sport table tennis is. I mean, there's tables everywhere, and the talent level just, to, just, just, just for normal people is like extremely high, especially for somebody like like me who just sort of you know hacks the ball around a little bit. Um, so, I mean, one of the you know we've talked a lot about on this show about like all the different you know, competitions that have been postponed or canceled because of zero COVID, but of course this competition um, uh, is is going forward. So, can you first of all just set the scene? Like, what what is the World Table Tennis Competition? Like, what what is the role that it holds in, in the table tennis calendar? 
like aside from games like the olympics or like the world yeah i would say the world championships is probably the biggest because there's also like the world cup which they only invite like less than 40 athletes to like 40 males and 40 females to or there's like yeah so the world championships is bigger in terms of participants Ivy, you, you said something there which, which reminded me of something else. So, so just allow me to go off on a, a bit of a tangent for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, there was a story that we talked about on the show a few weeks ago, uh, and it goes actually back to the 2000, um, this, is, this is sort of dating us, but I, th- I think it was just about the year or so before you were born, the Sydney Olympics. Um, and, and this was actually in badminton. And what happened is that there were in the semifinals, uh, for the women's singles, there were three Chinese uh, players and there was one Danish one. And basically what had happened is the two Chinese in one of the semifinals arranged the match because they thought that this particular player was going to uh, was going to have a better chance in the final if the Danish player, Camilla Martin, um, uh, went through. And it turns out that, that that's exactly what happened. The, the, the one Chinese player got through and, and won the gold medal against Martin in the final. Uh, Camilla R. Martin actually just interviewed this person a couple of weeks ago, which is why this story had came up, and they discussed the whole history of that. Now, the reason I'm asking this is because you said about, you know, in these competitions when you've got teammates playing each other and the vibe is different. I just wanted to, to, to kind of, uh, you know, follow up on that a little bit. What, like, I'm not, 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 not sort of saying, like, like, is there a sense that, that you, you know who's going to win, but what is it? Is it like you, the players don't celebrate because it's sort of seen as poor form? Like, how is that vibe different? Or is it just this kind of a less of a, you know, less of an intense atmosphere, perhaps? Less of a celebratory atmosphere? What, what is that different vibe? I would say that the intensity and celeb- celebrations is still, it's still right up there. Um, I think because at this point, like, to be able to be on a national team... I'm assuming the athletes are competing against each other all the time, all the time. Like, for example, on the Canadian side, in order to be selected to participate in championships or tournaments like these ones, we often have like selection tournaments back home or like national championships that help determine the team that gets sent to these tournaments. And so I'm assuming that the athletes for example, like the Chinese national team, the Japanese national team, all those top countries, I assume they're like practicing against each other and playing matches and high stakes matches against each other all the time. And when that same match is happening in like the world championship semifinals or finals, the intensity intensity is upped, I would say. So I wouldn't say it's like less intense or like, poor form to celebrate I would say it's like a different kind of tenseness that is there (laughs) it's so hard to explain it's kind of like yeah it's I guess like when you're playing perhaps like someone who's not from the same country as you're like an outsider maybe it's kind of I guess like what's on the line for you is a little might be a little bit different. I can't speak for them because I'm not, I haven't been exactly quite in their shoes, but I would say maybe something along the lines of like in a team competition, if you lose, it's kind of, you have 
more of the weight of your country on your back. Whereas in a singles competition, if you lose to your teammate, your country is still present in the next round, but your individual name will not be. So I want like I assume there would be some differences in the way athletes approach those situations. But I can't speak for that on the world <laughs> stage, I would say. <laughs> right. Well, well let's, let's talk a little bit about the world stage and like sort of the, the pecking order of, of table tennis. Because as a, as a layperson, as somebody who doesn't really follow the sport too, too closely, I mean, what, one of the things that you sort of know is that China is really, 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 really good at table tennis. Um, what, what is it about China that makes like their, the athletes there so, so good? And what does like a country like Canada have to do to, to get to that level? Yeah, that's a super interesting question. Um, I would say there, this comes up in a lot of conversations amongst like our Canadian table tennis community as well. And one of the biggest things is likely the system that is in place and that probably plays a big role in why um, well, A, the sport of table tennis is so much bigger in China than it is in Canada. And if we look at the flip side, like, for example, I'm not too, too knowledgeable about it, but perhaps hockey. It's huge in Canada. Canada has a lot of successes in that sport on the world stage. Um, whereas, from what I know, it's not nearly as big as, say, table tennis in China. And... Um, so with that, I think, like, for example, in Canada, a lot of our athletes are primary, like, student athletes, um, or they have a job on the side as they train in table tennis and compete in table tennis. And there's also no professional leagues in North America for table tennis, whereas in China and Europe, there are professional leagues where athletes are a part of teams and representing teams and kind of making a living from playing table tennis and also from like various sponsorships, which is a lot bigger in Europe and Asia compared to say Canada, where a system like that just does not exist. And so in China, from what I hear is that from a young age, athletes are selected and they're able to train in their respective um, like municipal and provincial teams. And then they just kind of like go through that system and then are selected to be a part of the national team and the resources that they have. Like, I hear that you can have degrees in table tennis in China, like university degrees in table tennis, which I find so fascinating. Mark, Whereas is that, that concept. Yeah, Mark, Mark, Mark would know. Well, Mark, Mark is the Chinese. I mean, there's, 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 there's like, the, there's quite a lot of sports universities. And of course, you, you're going to be able to specialize in certain things. They probably wouldn't call it exactly like. Just, you know, I got my bachelor's in table tennis. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, With honors, you know. Yeah. I'm sure basically they, you know, they, again, they have a lot of student athletes and they're as good as sort of professional athletes. You know, basically the same thing as professional athletes are in, in any other place. But, you know, some because of the age, they want to get an education. And so, but they clearly want to provide an environment where people can play just as much as they need to play, right? So... They can kind of dress it up this way or that, but <laughs> no, that's really interesting to hear. Yeah, and so I think like with those systems, um, it plays a role in the difference um, between, I guess, what we experience with the sport in Canada versus what they might experience in China. Like for example, with that 
talk on like student what student athlete in table tennis looks like in Canada table tennis isn't a varsity sport um oftentimes a lot of table tennis athletes in North America once they hit late high school or early whatever they choose to do after high school whether it is like pursue post-secondary education or um start working a lot of like we see a huge dip in continued participation in athletes because of various reasons like perhaps it's cost of continuous training and competition or like resources for example um with with any sport we also need to be able to take care of adequately take care of like our bodies our mental health um and like that whole picture and it's often very expensive um like one physio appointment chiro etc cetera, etc cetera, it all adds up and so we simply don't have as much support for a lot of those areas in the table tennis community in North America um whereas from what i see in a lot of countries where table tennis is a lot bigger or for a lot of sports um that perhaps are bigger in Canada they seem to have a lot more holistic support there and i think well i'm sure that will help athletes develop and continue thriving in their sport and i think that's where the community in Canada perhaps lacks a little bit i it was really interesting um you know what you're saying about you know the passion for hockey in Canada versus versus the you know the passion for table tennis um over in China and of course you know i think i think there's definitely some comparables there in in the sense that a lot of people the kids just grow up playing those sports but of course as with so many things in China you've just got that you've just got that population factor you know 1.4 billion your the pyramid of table tennis players is just going to be that much more than than the hockey pyramid so so that kind of leads me onto my next question you know if you are in the Chinese system and you're top 20 top 30 you you're probably going to stay in the Chinese system and try and make that national team as as best you can if you're somewhere outside of that say top 30 top 50 but you still want to make a living you basically have to look overseas and this has been something that that as you've been well aware you know has been going on for a number of years i remember at the um the the Beijing 2008 Olympics in the in the women's singles uh round of 16 of the 16 players were Chinese born they were born in China but only 3 of them were representing China because that was the max for any country so basically there's a lot of exports a lot of Chinese exports who are fantastic players but you know they 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 are, are trained in China and then they go and represent to another country what is the feeling kind of internationally about this and and I know that 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 perhaps you know you have a view on this you, you've said um you know one of the people that inspires you is an American player Lily Jiang and you said you know what what's what's inspire inspire for you she's the homegrown north american player as you are uh for for from bc in canada um but then there are a lot of people in international teams around the world you know who who are developed and trained in china and then kind of potentially you you know the view is of course one view is that they're taking someone else's spot um but you know it's 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 within the rules and so on how would you how would you summarize that whole kind of situation um in sports in 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 the sport of table tennis <laughs> there's a lot there i realize i realize yeah. but but you know but like i mean it like it 
I guess people want to be friendly to some extent, but then, you know, when you're talking about livelihoods, when you're talking about the top end, the sharp end of the sport, right? And there's only so many places, uh, particularly if someone's just qualified a couple of weeks before the deadline for this, there's going to be some, it's going to be some rivalry there. And, and, you know. Yeah, it's a big conversation. Um, and I think, as you've said, it's been quite popular in the sport of table tennis globally. And we also see it in a few different ways. Sometimes athletes grow up playing a sport in perhaps China and then move to other countries. Sometimes athletes are born in a certain country, train elsewhere, and then continue to represent the country they're born in. So it can, like, similar situations show up in different ways. Yet I would say that one thing I have noticed is that this continues to help the level of table tennis rise internationally. I know that with my sporting journey, um, a lot of I've been able to practice and learn from a lot of athletes and coaches that have come from other countries. And I think I know that their my experiences practicing and learning from them has contributed a lot to my skill development and helped me get to where I am today in the sport. So I know that, or my personal perspective is that it's kind of like sharing the skill of table tennis in a way, which I think is a big positive. In regards to like the limited number of spots and et cetera, I think that's a tough conversation. I know that the International Table Tennis Federation has quite a lot of newer developments and regulations that try to... I guess, control or like keep regulations and yeah, um, there, there's been some some, constant. some some sort of slightly mm-hmm. awkward comments from from the IWTF in the past, you know, basically saying like we need to limit the number of Chinese players and all this sort of stuff, and you know, and and yeah, it's it's it it is a tricky situation because you know you know. If your remit is to grow the sport internationally, but a lot of these tournaments are to some extent glorified Chinese national championships, you know, it can be tricky, certainly from a TV perspective, right? They're not doing international interviews, you know, they're not speaking kind of the global language, which is English. You know, for example, tennis, a lot of the Chinese players have trained overseas and they're they're very outgoing and they have great personalities and that comes across and they're likable. But like there, there is this sort of closed mentality, I think, when it comes to one of the sports like tennis outside outside of the sport itself people don't really know you know people who are absolute massive legends in table tennis in china could walk down a street almost anywhere in the world and no one would turn it turn their heads right and and that is that is pretty odd you wouldn't get that in in soccer you wouldn't get that in many other sports tennis you know um so yeah so i do understand the challenges of trying to grow that sport but but sometimes the the solutions proposed, I guess, have not necessarily always been the best. And, and, and frankly, come across as a bit racist. It's like, you know, we've got too many Chinese. So like, and they were like, the Chinese should let, there was one comment, I remember what it was, where the, one of the presidents said, you know, the Chinese should, should, um, should let other countries win a bit more. <laughs> it's like, okay, oh well, right, yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, I'm sorry for being good at what yeah, I do. <laughs> exactly. What does that do for the integrity of the sport, apart from anything else? I mean, that, that could devastate the sport for decades. But anyway, it was possibly said in jest. You know, I don't know. But um, 
I don't know. Yeah, the sport is like the, the best meritocracy there is. Like if you want to, if you want to win, you got to beat the other player. Like that's just that's just what you have to do. Um, Ivy, before we started recording, we asked you if you'd ever been to China before, and and you had. Well, I'll just keep it simple. Like, what, where did you go? What, what was your what were your previous trips to China like? For sure. So both my parents are from China. My dad is from Guangzhou, so a Cantonese speaking part of China. Whereas my mom's from Guangxi, which so her first language is Mandarin, um, and so those are two places I visited when I was a lot younger. So I've been back once when I was around six years old, and another time when I was around nine years old.、Um, and I remember being able to like visit my grandparents and also、uh, my parents' friends and their kids, and it was、um, really interesting. I guess at a young age to be exposed to. Quite a different culture compared to what I was used to back home for me in Vancouver, Canada,、um, and so with that, I don't have too many memories about it.、Uh, I remember it was really hot when I went back, though. That is one of the and it's only gotten quite hotter since. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah.、Um, and another time, or the third time I've come back to China was back in 2016. For the World U15 Table Tennis Championships, and that was in Shanghai, and I it was in one of like the Shanghai Sport Table Tennis Sports Schools, which was a really cool experience. And there, I was able to compete against some of the top U15、um, athletes in table tennis from around the world. And yeah, I think it's always it's always nice to come back to China and kind of learn more about. Essentially, like my culture and my heritage, because in back in Vancouver, the city is so very diverse. Yet I think it's kind of like like all our backgrounds are all respected, but we don't get much opportunity to, opportunity to explore and learn that much about it. So I think coming back to China and just Even just being exposed to the language every day, like so. At, back at home, I speak Cantonese,、um, and then here in Chengdu, and when I went to Shanghai, and when I went to、um, Guangxi, there was a lot of Mandarin.、Um, and even like being here in Chengdu for the past three days, I feel like my Mandarin has been like slowly improving, which is always nice.、Um, <laughs> so I think just small things like that that really. Enable me to connect with、um, my cultural background and learn more about my culture and, I guess, like the story and where my parents are from. Even is really cool and yeah, I'm really grateful. And and just on that, Ivy, you know, what have your parents said said to you about this trip? You know, you're at the you know at the World Championships in their homeland. Like they must be super super psyched to see you playing in China. Yeah, they were really excited、um, when we learned that I would be able to participate at this World Championships here in China. And they've told me they've been to Chengdu before, and we have a lot of like family friends and previous coaches that are based in like the Sichuan province.、Um, and so they were very excited, and they keep telling me like I think one of the previous World Champions have said like. Once you come to Chengdu, you won't want to leave. And so <laughs> I've been sending them videos and photos of like C 
scenes from our bus ride and like my view <laughs> from outside the hotel. And yeah, I'm not, like, not much the city is I guess. gorgeous. Yeah. So the bus is pretty much all we get, but the city is gorgeous. And like the people have been so wonderful and the food, even though I know we're like kind of in a bubble and people have said that it's a bit of a shame that we're not allowed to go out and have like lo- like legitimate local food. The food here in the bubble has been wonderful. So I've been thoroughly enjoying it. And my parents are really happy that I've been enjoying it too. Um, that's, that's so cool. Yeah, it's such a bummer that you can't actually have family and friends watching you in person um, at, at the matches. When, when, when is your first match? When do you, when do you play? Uh, the schedule hasn't come out because the draw was actually just done a few hours ago. Um, and so, but I expect that our first match will be on the 30th. So in less than two days. Wow. Will, will it be televised or will it be shown in Canada at all? How, how, how can your, how, how can people see it? So I know that what, from what they've, or like the organizers have been saying, the first two tables are TV tables. Um, where, whereas tables three to six will be live stream tables. So I believe that all matches will be streamed on um, the World Table Tennis site. So WTT.com, I believe, or like a quick Google or a quick online search will be able to direct you there. And so, yeah, that's likely where you'll be able to find all the streams as well as all of like the draws and other information about the tournament. So Ivy, I'm going to be back in quarantine in, in, in Beijing next week. So I'll be able to watch you on CCTV, the, uh, you know, the Met, the national broadcaster there. I would just say if you can, uh, you know, if, if things go well, um, and you can practice your Mandarin, they, they love, they love a, a foreign player speaking in Chinese. So, uh, yeah, get a little bit of TV exposure there. <laughs> I'll try my best. My Mandarin still has a long ways to go, but it's probably it's probably a million times better than mine. Ivy, thank you so much, and good luck. Then in the next week, we're going to be rooting for you. Thank you both so much. I really appreciate it. So this time next week, you are going to be in China. That's the plan. If my flight doesn't get cancelled or I don't get, uh, you know, I mean, that's well, that's yes, the, that is the that is the plan. I'm planning on following in two weeks uh, time, two and a half weeks time as well. So that's going to be good. So yeah, good luck with that. And hopefully next time we talk to each other, we will you'll be in one of us will be in China. Um, <laughs> we'll see. Um, so until then, uh, thank you for listening to the China Sports Insider Podcast. We are on the Syndica Podcast Network on thechinaproject.com. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, the China Sports Insider Podcast is host Mark Dreyer. He is the China Sports Insider. Check out his book on Amazon. It's called Sporting Superpower, China's Quest to Be the Best. My name is Haig Balian. I edited the show. We will be back next week. <laughs>